Welcome back, everybody. You probably just finished episode 139 of the Italian American podcast, and you are ready to join us as myself, Pat, Dolores, and Rosella sit down to watch John Patrick Shanley and Norman Jewison's 1987 classic, Moonstruck, about a widowed 37-year-old Italian-American woman who falls in love with her fiancé's estranged, hot-tempered younger brother. So we're going to hit play, and I'm going to tell you when the lion roars. Whatever platform you're watching on, I know this movie is available on iTunes. Uh, if you're streaming it, if you have a DVD, and I'm going to tell you as the lion roars. The MGM lion's going to roar twice, and then it's going to fade to black. So when I tell you that second one's up, you can sink in and start with us, and you can kind of turn the volume down, leave us in one of your earbuds, and listen to uh, the esteemed panel that we've put together to talk our way through this great classic. Everybody ready? Ready. All right, ready? Okay. And now we're going to get the Metro Goldwyn Mayor Lion. Here's his first roar. Here's his second roar. And here comes Dean Martin. How do you guys feel about the theme song of this movie being uh, that Samore? I mean, I think it definitely helped cement like the the whole cult classic status. I don't think it would have had the same impact if they used opera, and I think it would have been heavy. I think like this is so light and airy, and it's you know something you remember about the movie. Yeah, it's funny because like uh, you see right there the Metropolitan Opera House in New York, obviously. The opera plays such a huge role in this movie. And as you'll see, and I was reading our show notes beforehand about kind of what, uh, what they tried to do to tie opera through it. I, I guess I never really thought of this as a, as an ode to opera, but it's a big part of it, at least in the intent, which I, I guess I never really picked up on. As we can see now, La Boheme is going to play a little bit of a part in this. So if you look, the set designer, Philip Rosenberg is actually one of the producers Huh. It is a beautiful opera house. Opera poster. And then the beloved Brooklyn Bridge. Look how low the Brooklyn skyline is, by the way. Yeah. Or is that the Manhattan side? I can't even tell. So this is the first time we see Loretta. Yep. Here's Loretta Castorini. Can I say something? Yeah, Look you can say whatever you want. <laughs> it's unedited now. You can say whatever you want. We're not taping, right? Yeah, we're taping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we're taping, and I can't even edit it for time. But the so movie's not on. It's on. It's playing. I can't hear it at all. Can you see it? Um, not really. No. A little bit. Very slow. It's moving like in slow motion. Oh, boy. Are you on a computer? No, I'm on my phone. That's why. <laughs> Can you so get I'm to not, the computer? No, because I haven't used it in years. It's I have a BlackBerry. That should help. <laughs> oh, even, yeah. I'm sure that'll help. I can't even imagine what that'll watching do the trick. on a BlackBerry is like. There's a All truck. Right, imagine. A, there's a guy walking with a Christmas tree. But I, yeah, I, you're I in with no, us. But I, have no, but I have no audio. Well, we're, we're going to get the subtitles on. Yeah, but then that's like reading it, watching a foreign film. Pat Act. Nucerone Funeral Home. What a place to start. What a name. Nucciarone. It looks great. There you go. How many times have you heard somebody comment on a funeral director and what their <laughs> capabilities are? 
Yeah, we love funerals. Funerals are our Olympics. <laughs> Did, was there ever a director's cut of Moonstruck? I don't think so. So Loretta's a CPA, and I love that they, you know, considering that this is 1987, I think this sends like a really powerful message because, you know, they didn't choose to make her someone who wasn't uh, college educated. It's very likely, considering how old she is, how old her parents are, she's probably the first generation that went to college. And yeah, you're right. To have a job like this, which is, it, it wasn't typical even of that of that time. Yeah, that's so a good point. Almost 40 in 87. That's such like a miserable. <laughs> She's clearly not a hopeless romantic. <laughs> like my, my nonna. Like, I bought you flowers for your birthday, nonna. For what? <laughs> what a waste. <laughs> waste the money. <laughs> I do. I see. Maybe I just read everything in this movie from an Italian lens, but like, I love the fact that she's complaining about them, but then she says she loves them. And see, this restaurant is—they um, put a sign that says Hick Street. It's actually in Greenwich Village. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know that for a long time, and I really did walk around Carroll Gardens looking for the Grand Ticino. <laughs> now, this to me, Danny Aiello, even though I got to know him for uh, for many many years. He's not what, what may he rest in peace. The late Danny Aiello was not a great fan of his role here and the sort of shimmer nudity guy, but I thought he was brilliant. Yeah, but you know, this is why people who are not Italian have to make movies about us sometimes because I don't think he realized how great he was in this film, and yeah. I he he couldn't appreciate it. And I mean, I, I would if I could go back in time and be a part of the cast of Moonstruck. I mean, yeah. I don't know what the hell I would pay or what limb I would pay. <laughs> you still belong in this movie. I want to just say this. You have the college professor having an affair. Yes, John Mahoney. And Cosmo has an affair. Yeah. yeah. Like, they're two guys in an inappropriate relationship, and one is the Amerigan version, one is the Italian version. There's so much subtle messaging in this that you have to see if you put on fine-tuned um, microscopic glasses. I mean, even look at the, the conversation now, right? A man who can't control his woman is is funny to him. I, the, to me, there's some something so familiar about those conversations with that generation of Italian guys. Because he's not saying it misogynistically, right? He's saying it as like a very normal thing. He's saying it to his fiance. Oh, and I love when she orders for him. <laughs> yes. And- uh, because it just, it's like wherever, if you're an Italian man, somewhere there is an Italian woman worried about whether or not you've eaten or what you are eating. <laughs> so true. Don't eat the fish. You're going to get sick. One of those like great myths. Now she knows something's up. You never have dessert. I, I think he gives one of the most brilliant performances in this thing. Yeah. And he uh, you he know. Was the, he's the great, he. I don't. I agree with Ro. He never understood what a great job he did. It is one of the greatest cinematographic presentations in American cinematographic history, or probably in cinematographic history in general. Even though I don't have the corresponding degrees to be able to make that pronouncement as a layman, I feel that way. Likewise, um, I feel that we are especially attuned to realize how brilliant he is. It's como, It's almost like a 20th century comedy de l'arte. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Yeah, true. 
<laughs> and then I, I love that we're about to go into her feelings on bad luck, right? Her husband died. So she's had bad luck because they got married at city hall. The, the, the way we can extrapolate luck from the past, what we did to. Yeah, I mean, this is me. That's true. That's that. true. Dolores. This I, I watched this you. and I'm like, oh, this is me. <laughs> this is one point in the authenticity <laughs> column for Dolores. <laughs> The underlying theme in this film is right and wrong, good and bad. I did things the, the wrong way and I'm going to get punished. I married the, I'm going to choose the wrong guy now instead of the right guy. You know, I'm going to choose a, a Ronnie over Johnny and Ronnie's wrong and Johnny's right, you know? So true. But there's a lot of history. And I think that especially to people who listen to the podcast who did not, who may be a little bit younger than I am and didn't grow up in such a heavy Italian American area. I can tell you amongst my grandma's contemporaries, someone had a sick baby born in the 80s. And the baby got sick after the baby was baptized. It was a mixed marriage. One spouse was Catholic and one spouse was Protestant. And they got married in the Catholic church. If you get married in a Catholic church and you have a mixed marriage, you have to promise to raise the kid Catholic. So they, they marry Catholic. They baptize the kid Protestant. And the word on the street was the baby's sick because they broke the promise. You can see that. That's a, that. Yeah, that's what she's going through here. Sure. And the idea was, okay, well, you promised to God you were going to do something when you got married. So the idea is like, there's a bad luck that was a, there was a punishment associated. So you didn't get married in church. God punished you. Now, now that that was that was still um, in the air in the '80s. And I think if you're there's certain things that we can pick up that people today wouldn't necessarily understand. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. How this, how this is deep in her head. I didn't do the right thing, and now I'm now I'm paying for it. So Johnny gives her his pinky ring as an engagement ring because he didn't have a ring, which is strange to me because he's, you know, Mr. Proper. Why would you not give the lady? I'm, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to answer that right, right, right 100%. Because <laughs> remember, you're, I, I remember 87. You're born in 87. Weddings were not the big to-do as far as ring, how big is the ring, What's the carrots like it was? It became I'm that saying way. a ring. The 90s. Nice. Yeah, but what I'm saying is like, I don't think I think that also this kind of gives a, you know, this is like ten. This is like fifteen years after the last football wedding. Wait, can we just talk about? Can we talk about the fact that they're they're setting a date, talking about when is the mother going to die? Because this is such a great theme throughout this whole thing. After she's dead. Yeah. So, but when is she going to die? A week, two weeks? I have to go. I, I love that. <laughs> I, I love because. As Pat always talks about the Italian American Italian psychology being the mother and the son at the center of it all, and this is really so at the heart of this movie. He can't set a date because his mother is indefinitely dying. She needs a date. I mean, this is like uh, these kind of conversations and the cadence to them are part of what makes me love this movie. All you got to do is show up. I think I did say that to my own husband when we. Now, now this is this is about to be one of my three favorite scenes in the movie. So when he leaves, I just want to let everybody appreciate the conversation she has with the old lady. Because to me, there's so much to unravel in that brief conversation. And look at this lukewarm rapport they have. Like, this is hardly like a passionate thing. Like, yeah. he just proposed her. She's like, you made me very happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know what? This is also... He's like the last image. There wasn't. He's like the last representation of the old way. As well, I need to get married because someone has to iron my underwear. Yeah, and you'll do because my mother's dying in Sicily. So yeah. since she can't iron my underwear anymore, 
I'll give you a ring. And everybody in the neighborhood says you're bad luck because you, your husband got killed because you got married in City Hall. So I'm willing to take down the risk that I'm going to get killed because you're a bad luck widow because I need someone to iron my underwear. Well, That's look at the last of that, that worldview. And she's, a, she's one to go along with it because I'll iron your underwear because I'm 37 and I'm rotting on the shelf. It, 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 again, it's another vision into a world that was dying in 1987. These are the last gasps of an old world. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Guys, take a look. Take here, a wait, look. here. This is my favorite. Hold on. <laughs> we all know this old lady. Yep. Hmm. I know what part you really like, John. To be strong on me is great. That part. That's the best thing. <laughs> the way that lady talks could have been my grandmother and her sisters. It's what I call the Italian-American accent. The person born either yeah, an infant, left Italy as an infant, or born in an Italian enclave where people spoke Italian as a first language. And that is how they speak English. And that is almost completely gone. Martin Scorsese's mother speaks yeah, that yeah, English. 100%. 100%. John, yeah. I, all the years I know you, I couldn't agree with you more, 100%. So to hear that warms my heart. And then the fact that she does this brilliantly uh, worded diatribe with, with formality and, and literary flair about the curse, and then I don't believe in him either. It, it's so absolutely our ability to just like, yeah, it just rolls off our back. We're in the moment people in so many ways. I love that. And this moment right here is so important. This is where we first hear the whole wolf metaphor. Oh, Yeah which is a really prevalent theme throughout the movie. Wow, Ro, I never picked up on that. And, you know, I've, I was, I, as I understood it, thanks to our associate producer, Stephanie, and the research, they were actually going to title this movie uh, something about, like, the beauty and the wolf or something like that. I got to find it. And I feel like Loretta's like looking at them like she wants this relationship for herself. She wants, she, she's very much aware that she's alone and going to be alone if she doesn't act, if she doesn't do something. Yeah. This incredible house that is now $20 million. <laughs> of course. On the corner of Cranberry Street. <laughs> and I, I want you guys to go back and watch the airport scene because the extras in the airport scene are everything. It's like every guy that looks like he belongs on a hill in Sicily. That's very true. They, like, they did that so well. The 17 dogs I never understood. No, I didn't get that either. Isn't 17 a bad luck number in Italy? No, I, there are not and 17. The grandpa as an Italian, Italian, like, that never does it for me. And, and it's actually, he's actually a Russian, I believe. Uh, the actor's name um, is Fyodor Shaliapin yeah. Jr. Yeah, a Russian actor. See? That, that I, that <laughs> that I give you. That he's supposed to be the off, that he's supposed to be the off-the-boat grandpa doesn't, doesn't do it for me. Yeah, but Vincent Gardenia is 100% a Neapolitan in this movie. Because Vincent Gardenia kind of got his, um, Skonamig is his real last name, I think. Oh, wow. 
he was involved with the Neapolitan vaudeville. Yeah, he this guy's authentic as they come. Vincent Gardenia is from Bensonhurst. There's a street named after him. Deservedly so. Great actor. Great theater actor. You can always tell when you can always tell the theater actors from the the film actors. He's going to be a major part of one of my other like authenticity alert scenes. That is the most brilliant thing I have ever heard in my 45 years on this earth. That Here's is a question I have for you guys. Bro, bro, that's so true. You can tell the theater actors from the film actors. You can tell that he was an old school. That, that's absolutely correct. But listen to me. Theater is an actor's medium. Cinema is a director's medium. Oh. It's very different. Have any of you guys ever seen the, the sugar dropped in the Spumante, by the way? saw that apart well, drew and i were just talking about that last night we we're just talking about that just that sugar cubes were like everywhere back in the day i feel like you just dropped them into everything <laughs> yeah, probably true I, that that was always like <laughs> a strike against me oh he's in the bad luck category don't get married it doesn't work out for you You're first sorry play again next time <laughs> so, the horns. The, 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 when he turns when yeah. he turns i love it yeah i love it. his his hands are a million percent authentically italian american every hand gesture he makes in this is nowhere in his mind that he say let me do this it's just how he talks but i have to say the, the sugar cubes bother me a little bit Anybody out there is listening who knows about sugar cubes in the Spumante, please let me know. Not knowing like the origin or something like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I I don't know if I don't get it. Let's get Shanley on the podcast. Yeah, we could try. Try work on that. Come on. It's temporary. Everything is temporary. Everything (laughs) is temporary. See, the Italian-American father who, who, who gets right to the line of he can be tough, but he can't actually be tough. I love that. And now they're going to tell Rose. Mom, oh, who's fantastic. The scene where we meet her is just, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I call my grandmother and my mother, especially now. And that's yeah. the question. We call it the Doom Patrol in my family because if it's after 8 o'clock and the phone rings, somebody says, who died? Is everybody okay? We do the same thing too. We like jump up. I've done it to you before, Dolores. I think you called me one time late. Yes, I'm like, you what's have- the matter? Everything all right? No, no, no. When you love them, they drive you crazy because they know they can. Yeah. And this is so foreshadowing of her own relationship, of how she feels in her own marriage with her husband because she, she really does love this man desperately like she devoted her entire life to him and look what he does to her and I, I thanks to our show notes you know i didn't even realize olympia dukakis wasn't the first choice for this but man did she do a great job you couldn't imagine anyone else in that role like after no. watching Sammy dolores's real mom <laughs> well i take it as a compliment because you're, you're clearly enamored with the character and the role your your mother really is like that uh like um 
a perfect blend of uh, that old school Italian woman's strength and softness. She is. I see what we're, I didn't see where Rob was going with this, but now I do. Yes, Dolores, your mother is a pillar. She's a little, <laughs> God bless her, she's like a pillar of strength. Does that make sense? She is. Yes, it does. I would agree with that. That's very sweet, guys. She is. When am I getting the duck? <laughs> uh, when are you getting the duck now? Forget it. Yeah, sure. Quarantine. Right? Yeah. Their little old man club, and all they do is go to the cemetery. I love this. That's authentic. I love that this this movie was obviously shot in the real cold and you can see the real cold everywhere. This was like before CGI breath was possible. <laughs> and you just really get a good sense of uh of the environment. And you know, like what I what I think of is that winters aren't even that cold anymore in New York. <laughs> no, they're not. These guys are in like Russian hats. I do have to say, like when we watch the scene where they get engaged and the guy turns to him and says like I would have gotten a ring capiche I feel like capiche is a word that gets thrown around a lot to sort of add an Italian patina and I could that that kind of wears on me after a while yeah yeah but I think the old do make capiche that that was a lot no I agree yeah it's true I mean I I heard it my whole life growing up but I don't know why do make capiche or no do do make capiche or no it's important to remember that in 1987 the Italians that were in this area were much fresher Italians at the time that's how they spoke yeah yeah so capiche wasn't capiche it was capiche like they were it, it was um it was done with a different intention yeah, now it's like something we throw in, like a like a friggin' sprinkle of oregano. Then sure. it was probably part of like the actual vernacular. Bread with the hole is probably like I don't know how many people have asked me for a recipe for the moonstruck bread and the hole with the hole in it. <laughs> my brother grew up making this. I remember my brother used to like he would cook nothing, but he would cook that. <laughs> I don't know why my grandfather called them Popeye eggs. I, I don't know where that comes from. Which one would think they should have spinach in them, but. And a little roasted papa. Yeah. Will you live here? <laughs> That's a great one. And notice where all, most of the family scenes take place in this kitchen. Yep. With the vinyl tablecloth, with the, uh, you know, I mean, this is a dream kitchen. I, I would love this kitchen. The house is beautiful. I mean, it's incredible to think once upon a time, just a regular Italian family could live in a brownstone like that in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. And That's this kind of house was like no big deal back then. This was like supposed to not yep. be a palace. Of- That's true. <laughs> and I like that they're talking about who's going to live in the house because, you know, the, the brothers moved away. He's in Florida. Grandma's dead. Uh, the, the, you can see that they're dealing with the greatest um, uncertainty to an Italian American family, which is the lapse of the nuclear family, right? Like the, that spread and it, it's 1987 and it's sociological, but it's also personal to the characters. Like, you know, are you going to move in? It's not a, a ridiculous question for them. Well, it's the Italian mentality of we built this beautiful. I'm sorry, yeah. when you got married, my parents lived with my never a question where you were going to live. Me? Yeah. Ah, uh, this is great. Um, 
we did yeah we we definitely like I pursued a lot of uh possibilities but it almost felt like fate <laughs> yeah destiny <laughs> but um my father also obviously before when i was young he he um put plumbing electricity and and something else i forget in my closet in my bedroom upstairs and he used to say to me when you get married you're going to live upstairs wow so yeah he knew i i there's a lot of things like that that he just seemed to have known so and i used to say to him you know all modern and like american are you crazy you're crazy i'm not going to live upstairs with my husband and when we did the renovation we didn't have to put electricity not it wasn't electricity i'm i'm tired i'm blanking right now but it was like plumbing oh and gas for the stove we didn't have to put those two things in, which is a huge Undertaking, you know, savings yeah. financially and time-wise. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, it's appropriate, you know, and it's, it's, it's powerful in a lot of ways. I love how she tells him, use your hat for the sun. Like there's always <laughs> mother quality about Loretta, even though she's not a mother. Right. Look, it's I can still, still hear a big mouth. <laughs> and the mother, this seems great. Like, you know, Ain't nobody got time for you. It's just fantastic. Look at him crying <laughs> so like a good. big baby. Yeah, uh-huh. I love this. The Mamone. This is before Mamone was even like a real topic, you know, like a sociological concept. And then at the end of the movie, just waving Parker yells at him and goes, you're 40 years old or 45 years old. She's still running your life. Yeah, that's right. I think the brother mm-hmm. yells at him. Yeah. Uh, we're about to oh. meet the stage. This young lady is going to give another one of my authentic scenes. And this bakery is still there in uh, Carroll Gardens. And you know, they got the coal ovens downstairs too. That's, you can't get those anymore. Yeah. I love how they don't show him for, like they only show yeah. him behind. He's just like this dark kind of ominous presence for a second. And it's interesting because as we've been doing research, they didn't really want Nicolas Cage for this role. They wanted some other actor who I don't think has done much since. And Cher really fought to have him because she thought he could play crazy authentically. Now, hindsight being what it is, she's been proven right a million times because Nicolas Cage is batshit. But yeah. <laughs> and he did such a great job with this and then totally blew it in Captain Corelli's mandolin. Yes, he did. Oh, see, so this is, oh, uh, by the way, that's Catherine Scorsese, Martin Scorsese's mother, buying that stuff there. That they voiceovered her because what you hear of her dialogue is not her voice. Wow. Why waste that beautiful authenticity? Probably to not pay her. <laughs> that's a good point. That's true. The magic of movie making. <laughs> Happened to me a million times. <laughs> <laughs> This guy is definitely from Italy. Yeah. Like off the boat. Look at that beautiful coal oven. And we finally see Ronnie all jacked out with his tank top on, all glistening.
before Nicolas Cage got his veneers. <laughs> Here comes his monologue about how miserable his life is on somebody else's fault. That that you could authentically chalk up. And this is how these kinds of speeches are how you can tell a playwright wrote this screenplay. That's a good point. This is not typical, you know, rom-com uh, dialogue. Not by any means. You can totally imagine this taking... I can close my eyes and imagine this being on a stage... And, you know, and then, like, Cher kind of is pulled back, and this is his moment to really tell the audience who he is. We should contact the writer and see if we can't uh, fundraise for the Moonstruck the Musical. Uh, Bring Me the Big Knife is my favorite. It was almost going to happen, John. I think this is one of those big things you need to do in your life. Yeah, Bring Me the Big Knife is, like... I like, she goes, no, Ronnie, I tell you I'm going to do it. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> That's funny. Top 10 Moonstruck quotes, bring me the big knife. Yeah. And he's like, I want you to tell him on his wedding day. <laughs> and, and Cher's not phased by the melodrama. No, this is normal. <laughs> See, so I can enjoy this scene. But it's also one of the scenes that just bothers me at the same time. The hands? It, the whole scene. I mean, it's it's just one of the scenes where I'm like... It's too much it's so for you. Over, it's so histrionic. But, it's so, but, yeah. it, but you have to understand something. It's a, it's a, a tableau of us. This is not a documentary. It's a... It's, it's a you say tableau. Yeah. I say caricature. Yeah, there's a fine line. Yep. But it's an exaggeration to bring up about a point. Right, but this is theater. I don't, like, you're watching a theater production. You're watching a play made into a film. But that's my point earlier about, like, this is an entertainment piece, an art piece, and we as a people, all kinds of people, attach themselves and their own identity because of the pervasiveness of this medium to these portrayals. And that's what, that's what all of this is about, how people react to it. But that's art's objective, you know? So... It's not surprising. Yeah. We, we watch stories because we see our lives in them in some way, if not in the least, the unfolding of life, you know? Yeah. Oh, I see my mother in Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yes, I have family members. Yeah, I too. see your mother in Nicolas Cage, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, 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 but like very, quite literally, because my mother always had a, had a, um, a, an issue with Graves' disease with like a thyroid problem and like she had corrective surgeries on her eyes and uh, for my entire life, my eye, my eye, my eye, I see this. I, I see, wow. I get <laughs> Oh, I just meant that she's very, like, she's very dramatic and a performer, your mom. That too, but she also Beautiful woman. has her. a problem to pick with, uh, with uh, uh, problems in her life stealing her beauty. Wow. Got it. Okay. Now, this is my favorite here, one of my favorites here. When this young lady talks about how much she loves him. That to me, there's something beautiful about that. There is. And this whole thing feels so like Tennessee Williams to me. Like, you know, this, um, 
this person that will never find love. Like he always creates a character that is maimed or imperfect in some way. And, you know, the audience is supposed to think that they're, they're never supposed to find love in a traditional way. This like damaged person. And for me, I, I like this girl, Chrissy's little mini monologue because it's, it's like a, you know, the, the Italian American part of the community, the family group, whatever, onlooker given their two cents i feel like that's very normal and this is another one which i know this house right now i just want to watch him and how he explains pipes because my uncles my great uncles my cousins they could they spoke like this and these poor poor medigans another great theater speech He's going to go back. It's a whole performance, like shopping in Italy. This is, this is my father-in-law. hundred <laughs> percent. So he's going to shake them off. Let me teach you why you're wrong. That's so Italian to me. Listen to me. And, and he counts with his thumb as number one. That's super authentic. My nonna does that. Look at the hands. Like yes. the, and he and he comes in here like a boss. He doesn't yeah. come here like a laborer. No. He's dressed in a suit and tie. You He's know, an artisan. He, yeah, like, I am the owner of this company. I'm not I'm not coming. My guys are gonna come. I'm gonna send guys. It's like when you go shopping in Italy and you expect customer service and you get an education. Like, well, this is why you're you you should not buy this thing or you should and look, he's bragging about it to his gumad, yeah. right? So so he so he owns that whole character, and he knows he was putting on a character. I love this. Look how proud he is. And I love the casting of Mona, how she is, you know, probably around the same age as his wife. They didn't make her like a, 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 a young little bimbo. Yeah. They made her the Metagon version of his wife, you know, with the hair dye, with the jewelry, with the low cut. You know, she is everything his wife is not. And after all 50-something years of their marriage, the scene, now I'm seeing this scene in a different way, she's still taken by his stories. She's still impressed by him. She's still, you know, a, 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 a boon to his ego. And, and the wife could never be after all those years together because, you know. She's probably still Italian, but this is what one generation probably, she's probably just one generation apart from his own wife. Yeah. And look at manicures and jewelry and adornments and he's brilliant in this and there's this little trick there's this little uh you know um confetto here that i love that uh nicholas cage ronnie is a is an opera buff something you would just never expect it's like a little gift to the audience that you know you expect them to be this just brute it humanizes them yeah and she's making him coffee in his own apartment yeah she just throws on an apron never met you before but (laughs) (laughs) that's ridiculous I'm going to tell you what you like. Yep. That, that is so, you know, I used to give um, 
I used to donate blood when I was in high school. I think we were juniors when they allowed us to start donating blood. And blood bank would come to school. And whenever I had, whenever I donated blood, I got liver and a glass of wine. That's amazing. But liver and wine was supposed to make blood because she said she would flip out why you're giving blood. You need your own blood. But then she would make me the liver and the wine to make blood. But she said the two things made blood. This is leading up to one of my favorite physical moments of this entire film when he flips the table and runs his fingers through his hair. <laughs> like he takes that second before he just envelops Cher. I also like that they made macaroni with the steak. Yeah. And she gives the steak, she saves the steak for him. Yeah. She gets no steak. You got no steak in 1987 as an Italian woman. <laughs> There's a t-shirt there. You get no steak. But she wants whiskey. <laughs> Uh, Cosmo and his Cadillac. Yeah. That was one of those symbols of early Italian America where you arrived, you know, clock. When we moved to the suburbs, my parents bought my grandfather a a Lincoln, I think, as a gift. And it was white with the blue, like uh, whatever, leather, whatever that is, top. And it was, you know, and he loved it, loved it. Because he never could have afforded one of those. And my parents bought him one and it was such a big deal. Oh, my uncle still got his Ford Crown Victoria. That's awesome. Mint condition. And of course, we got to talk about the fact that he lives in the apartment above the bakery shop, right? He probably owns the building, you know? Yeah. And this is where Cher is explaining how her life went wrong and she has to make it right. A gift I couldn't keep. Here's the wolf again. And so as I'm looking through our notes, this was supposed to be called The Bride and the Wolf. (laughs) And he's like, well, I don't know if I chewed it. I don't know if I, like, you know, cut my own hand off (laughs) there. Maybe I'm Italian-Americanizing everything, but I, I do think the idea of coming in and diagnosing somebody's life like a psychologist after 15 minutes is something I've, I've had happened, had, yeah. had happened to me. I've done that to people. I do. I do. <laughs> but look at her phrase because I have no luck. Yeah. If nothing else about this movie makes it an Italian-American movie, it's a phrase because I have no luck. That's the the, fan, the famous exchange. A bride without a head, a wolf without... Ah, oh, here it is. Here it is. Wait for it. Wait there. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to take you now.
this is responsible for every messed up thought I've ever had about how love should be. <laughs> I, I really did th- this in Pretty Woman. I thought when a man loves you, he, you know, takes you on a shopping spree and then, you know, flips a table and picks you up. It's fantastic. And terrible. Yeah. You know. And I love her melodrama here. Take me, take me. All right. All right. <laughs> take me to the bed. Whatever. I was dead. Now I'm alive. It's a story about new beginning. Yeah. Take <laughs> your revenge out on me. I'm two people that have just not had sex in a really long time. Yeah, that's also true. You know, that could do this. (laughs) As the opera crescendos, you know? Yeah, it's really beautifully timed when you think about it. And just that one line, what about Johnny? (laughs) She don't know what she's missing. My father says that a lot. Oh, this. The brother and sister-in-law are my favorite couple. I love them. The mom from Saturday Night Fever and this guy. How do you not like this guy? You have the little carafe of wine on the table, little juice glasses for wine. Jelly cups for wine in my family is a must. She's another one with a great accent. Oh, yeah. She's also the, the nonna in Betsy's Wedding. Another great little IA film. Can't say I've seen that. <gasps> yeah, me neither. I'll put that on our list. And I think Vince Cardinia here is just, like, frustrated. Like, he's probably thinking about his gumata. Yeah. I love this story. For some reason, it just touches my heart. And he can't even access that part of him. Yeah, I think he's he's a little um, angry with himself about, you know, the, I, I think he's angry with himself for doing the right thing his whole life. And maybe for doing the wrong thing in his marriage. But this is so typical because men like this are just not great at articulating, you know, how they're feeling or. Yeah, you know, we live in such an expository society about our feelings and it's it's more and more every day. And people memorialize our people as so expressive. And, you know, yes, we're 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 
flamboyant in a lot of cases and creative, but there is a whole underlying lack of expression in the Italian American male character that, you know, people have lived. I feel like my father and my uncle, his brother, were like those two sides of that that coin. Yeah. My father was very expressive and like warm and outgoing. And my uncle was he was my uncle was very like stoic and reserved. Yeah, I think that's a major thing. Yeah, it is. I love how she says later you'll be you should be down. What did she say? She said you drank too much, you sleep too hard, and later you'll be up when you should be down. Wow. Rose is very much, you know, the sage of this, uh, of this family. Yeah. Beautiful, unflappable, strong as hell. Right. This is her moment of weakness. But she's got all the, the, the moments of, she's got all the words of wisdom. She's telling everybody how things should really be. This is the first time we've seen Cher with their hair down as well. Right, so here becomes this idea of metamorphosis. It's starting the transformation with the big cosmos moon, and now Nicholas Cage is really sweetening up. Yeah, I love this soliloquy about the moon and and the theme that obviously Moonstruck takes in. And I don't know, whenever I think of things that make you kind of a little bit soft and emotional, I, I always come back to Cosmos Moon. And here's where he's the uncle cements it. I just love this. And when I'm seeing these two, I see my own little aunt and uncle. Absolutely. You guys know my family's in the horse racing business, and sometimes when we have a horse born or we get a new horse, and we, we sort of pass around the family uh, who gets the right to name it if it goes to race. And I've always saved my chance for the one great horse because I would love to name it Cosmos Moon. Oh, that's brilliant. But it's got to be a good one because if it's a dud, I'll feel like I wasted it. I know. No, it's got to win. It's got to win like the Triple Crown. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I proved a few. You look 25 years old in this light. This is such a, a beautiful scene to me. Yeah. A beautiful scene how, you know, um, you see Cher and, and Ronnie, you see, you know, Loretta and Ronnie and how like, you know, it's hot and, and young and fresh. And then you see this mature relationship that is in such a beautiful place. And then you see, um, you see Cosmo and Rose and how their relationship is somewhat fractured. Yeah. So you kind of see three different phases of yeah. love. No, this is just how I like to think of Brooklyn when I when I you know, want to think of the old neighborhood 
I think of this scene. I think of, you know, the scene where um, uh, the, what is this area called right here? The, the Fulton Ferry, the promenade. Promenade's above it. This is really Fulton Ferry, but yeah. Like this was before the promenade was just Grand Central Station and yeah. people were selfies in front of it. And um, it, it was really a neighborhood and how quiet it would have been on a very cold winter night. Yes, that's a great point. I mean, now Brooklyn, you know, Brooklyn had one skyscraper up until 10, 15 years ago, maybe 20 now. And now it's a city unto itself. I mean, it's always been such a unique character, but like, you're absolutely right. It was called the, the borough of neighborhoods, the borough of bedrooms, because it was a community. All of these communities were sort of personal little enclaves uh, to themselves in so many ways. And then you have the big city across, but you're absolutely right. It's not that anymore. Well, that morning after moment. (laughs) She's kind of just realizing what she's done. Don't you hate that, Dolores? You know, when you wake up and you realize you slept with your fiance's brother. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, where in the F is she going (laughs) with this? What did you do? <laughs> you ru- you ruined my life. No, you ruined my life. It was ruined when I got you. So brilliant. <laughs> He's like the <laughs> of his own brother. He is like, you know, sexy, he wears tight pants, and, you know, you always see uh, Johnny Camerary in, like, a three-piece suit. Yeah, you're right about that. He's got sort of, like, the alpha male wild wolf, and, and Johnny is this sort of buttoned-up, you know, softy. Yeah. Now he wants to come to the wedding, which is also very <laughs> Now that it's going to be in the worst possible taste, I'm going to come. (laughs) (laughs) See, I think I love the dramatic statements in this because I think I have a lot of experiences where people in my family or, or friends speak in these very dramatic statements. Yeah, the, you know, the language didn't sound, oh my God, that's so extra to me ever. I was always like looking for a guy and be like, oh, I have tickets to the opera. That never happened. And here she goes into confession. <laughs> Kissing the hand after the sign of the cross is also something that was separated me from my Irish uh, classmates when I was a kid. Made me yes, feel- I always did that. Yeah. We're the only ones who do that? I don't know. Pat, do you know about that? Patrick? He might have dropped. He might have stepped away for a second. No, I'm here. I had it on mute. That's a whole other conversation. Is it Italian? <laughs> uh, That's a whole other conversation. It's a deep. I have many theories on it. That oh. is a whole other conversation. I will save that for another episode. I like that she threw the latest sin that she's here for amongst her other smaller sins. 
you know, and that other thing. <laughs> And it's a community Italian priest. So even though she's behind the netting, he knows exactly who it is. Because he calls her Loretta. Thirty-seven years old. You got to lie to the father. Yeah, a little something about that. (laughs) (laughs) Just just getting older and still being like, you know, feeling like you're you're uh, sixteen. I mean, I've been staying in quarantine, my wife and I, with my parents, and. One of the days we were recording, my mother and father wanted us to come down to dinner and they just kept, I'm like, I'm 37 years old. I'm working, you know, I'm like, I, I, I promise you I will eat. Like I said, when you're an Italian man, there is an Italian woman somewhere wondering if you've eaten. That's true. <laughs> you were a lamb soft as milk. This is the most adorable exchange ever. And the backdrop of a store like this, which of course there's still many, many of them left, thank goodness. But I, I don't know. I, I, I hope heaven has one of these there for me. Will he pass the around a little? <laughs> Is that not every Italian man's fantasy, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> There's the Checo pasta getting a shout out in the background. And Jesus. Yep, a lot of it. I love the saint cards up there. Yeah. You fool. That's like a super theater. <laughs> Shamu. No one in real life would be like, you fool. I love him. He's high on life. <sighs> You know where those cards came from? Those cards would come from when the procession would pass by the store. They would go yes. into the store owner to make a donation, and the store owner would put a few dollars on the uh, statue, and they were always expected to put more because they owned the store. And then it was kind of like I gave. Brilliant. And I love the whole, I don't want to talk about it, and that's just like not an acceptable answer. <laughs> So notice how this is the Cinderella beauty shop and this is the biggest Cinderella scene that we're going to see here is kind of like this rags to riches, like not rags to riches, but this drab to fab uh, metamorphosis that Cher's about to undergo. I never noticed that in all my watching. That's why I have the PhD in menstrual. (laughs) (laughs) This is the pivotal pivotal moment. (laughs) Well, but this is, this is filmmaking. This is what um, probably the producer sat down and said, 
you know, we need a scene like this to make it a good movie. So in Pretty Woman, you know, we have the scene where Julie Roberts goes shopping and, you know, at the end she's able to like go back to the store, uh, the, the, the saleswomen that were mean to her and be like, well, look at me now, you know? So uh, I find that films like this need a scene like this um, to relate to women, to really draw, draw you in to, to, you know, to play on the, the romanticism of all of it. You got this guy with a mullet. Well, it's also a way of showing you that she's, she's like new now, you know, she's yeah. turned a corner. She's coming out of the cocoon. Mm-hmm. And here's part two. But as, as, as a woman watching this, like this is everybody wishes they, they could have like this makeover day and then go buy a great dress and then like go to this romantic date at the opera and whatever. And how she runs into nuns is no accident. John Patrick Stanley loves his nuns. Oh, is that right? This is probably every, like, Italian girl who lived at home till she got married's fantasy is having a day like that and then getting to come home to a completely empty house. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and having time to herself in this way and look like she got her nails did. She's having a glass of wine. She's going to turn on the music. They got the doilies right. I love the crocheted doilies. Vicky Carr. He's going to play that Vicky Carr record, and when he comes to bed, he won't touch me. <laughs> See, I never understood this this downtime part. Like, it felt very, um, like, I don't know. She's, she's reflecting, I guess. I guess she needs that to finalize the transformation. But for me, it always felt like a little bit of a, a lag in the Wait, middle of the action. I used to do this all the time when I was single. This is really? just a long time. So that's... This- Precious. See that? I don't think I get that. No, this is your single alone date prep time. This was me before every single date I've ever been on. Maybe not walking in front of the mirror in my slip and stuff, but you know, in my in my leopard sweatsuit, definitely. <laughs> Rose equivalent of the '80s slip. Oh, if, if, if I was the stage in nineteen eighty-seven, this is me. Cher's face is, like, insanely symmetrical. Well, that's interesting. I never really looked at it that way, yeah. Apropos of nothing. I just looking at her. <laughs> hey, we got to fill an hour 45. <laughs> I love that they gave her a vintage cab in 1987 where, like, these cabs were just not on the street. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Good point. They'd never be out. They'd be in the park. Yeah. Are you guys opera fans? I am. Yeah, big one. Yeah, I've actually never seen La Boheme, though. Neither have I. Neither have I. Do you go to the Met a lot, John? I feel like we've never talked about this. I used to go a lot more. Now Nicole and I are starting to go. We should all go one night, actually. It's it's a wonderful night out. When we're allowed to, yeah. Yes, when it's back in swing. But yeah, we... I've actually been, been often, and I have to confess, like I am not an opera fan. <laughs> well, let me resend the date inv- the the group date invitation. Then. <laughs> <laughs> and I keep I keep going because I I think to myself I must love this like the whole idea of it you know the beautiful 
the beautiful opera house, getting dressed up, the art of it. And then I go and I'm trying to stay awake in my chair. Every yeah, you got you got to say something. There's more, like, I'm, I'm a big Mozart opera fan. There's many different genres of opera. And the Met seems to be. You think maybe I haven't seen the right one? Yeah, I think so. Pat, you don't like. You you like Mozart more than like the Puccini and Verdi stuff? Yeah, Puccini is a kind of booger bazan. Yeah, I can see that. I I, I do like them, but. So I I like to point out the the parallels between this film and Pretty Woman, which is arguably probably one of the greatest romantic comedies of all time. There's also an opera scene in Pretty Woman. Um, he takes her to see La Fraviata, which is about a fallen woman uh, who, and it's appropriate because Julie Roberts is a prostitute. And in this, you know, La Boheme is about, you know, uh, two star-crossed lovers that are making it through, you know, a sickness. And um, in this, I, I think the sickness is, is um, something for the audience to decide. You know, clearly Ronnie is not like the most mentally stable dude he, he's lost a hand. He's imperfect. Um, she dies at the end. But, you know, he's kind of, I, I think what's really important here is that he's bringing the neighborhood girl out of the neighborhood to have a non-Brooklyn Italian experience. This yeah. is very much, um, when I when I think about the movie Working Girl with Melanie Griffith, you know, there's this divide between Brooklyn or Staten Island and the city. Yeah. And um, now shares in the city for probably, you know, one of the few times that she gets to go there to do something like this. She's having this totally alien experience. It's freeing. Mm -hmm. Because Johnny Camareri represents the safety of doing the right thing according to the cultural norms. Mm -hmm. And then here we see Cosmo here with his gumata. Who's very flashy? You know, she's in this bright pink dress. And she almost looks like, you know, like a like a showgirl. Yeah. And here we have Cher in this very muted red. It's such like an interest interesting choice to make her, you know, not in black, but in in a red that's like very, you know, very understated still. Yeah. There's a richness to the whole look. For those that haven't been to the opera at the Met, I will say, you guys know I'm a traditionalist when it comes to aesthetics, but there's something about the look of the Met when they raise those chandeliers. It's just, it's a beautiful and unique place. It really is. Yeah, it is. Back at the restaurant that I... Walked all over South Brooklyn to find <laughs> that was not in South Brooklyn. We should open a restaurant called Grant Ticino. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> At least a t-shirt. Yes. <laughs> I could wear it. We're going to be working on that one in a couple hours. Oh, you know I'll have like a... <laughs> yeah. A fruit right over, a hand-drawn yeah. fruit. We're going to have the address, whatever address they listed as. So Rose is overhearing this conversation. She's having a meal alone. Which if you really put it into perspective, like the, the Italian American mom, right? 
knows her husband's out on a date and here she is having a meal by herself in a restaurant. What it's, it's so um, strange, you know, it seems like a big leap. And I love how the shot is set up with like the, the over his shoulder, the young woman, the older woman. Yeah. Well, John, I propose to you that that's kind of like a stereotype that that's what you're seeing right now of the kind of silent, you know, do, uh, dutiful Italian mother and wife where it's, you know, it's okay for Italian men to go out and have affairs and she kind you're of right. takes it. Yeah. You're right about that. But I also want to say 1987, like these were not the liberated women of not 1950. Okay. But you know, 1980 is still, you know, generation zero. You don't leave your, you know, immigrated together. There's a history here that, you know, it's not so easy. That she didn't, I don't think Rose Castorini had a ton of options. This, I always found this relationship really interesting because, you know, she's meets this professor who, again, the many wonderful performances played by John Mahoney, who, as he has said, uh, because of this role, got recognized and picked up to be the dad in Frasier when it spun off from Cheers. Great actor. Um, but I, I don't know. This was, this did always make me a little uncomfortable. And maybe it's playing to that same point of like, you can swallow the pill of the father out with the gumata, but the mother, you know, she's not going to do anything, but I don't know. Something about it always made me uncomfortable. Mm. But this is Rose's act of right here, this moment. This is personal enough for her. Yeah. The act of her sitting with another man sharing a meal is like Cosmo being on a date and sleeping with someone else. That's how the equivalent works in her mind. She's guilty. She feels terribly guilty about this experience. But to follow up what Rose said, so much of it is was the public embarrassment. That was it. How can I leave my husband? What are people going to say? Dad, I can't hear you. But I think that so much of it was the old concept of the public embarrassment. Like, how can she leave her husband? What What are the neighbors going to say? I mean, that's a big part of who we are. Mm. And Rose has this big question. This becomes her question. Why do men chase women? The wolf, right? Yeah, she wants to know. She's going to ask Johnny uh, uh, the same thing later. Why do men chase women? She wants to know. She wants to know why a man who has such a, a great wife would need anything else. And I think it, it goes back to like the, the needs that we have as men and women, especially as Italian-American men and women, that why do Italian-American men or men <laughs> need so much when women find contentment in well, their see, lives? See what he's saying? It's all new to her and she's a bright face and I'm the man that I think I am or maybe want to be. Like, it's, it's the same for the father out there bragging about the copper pipe story. Yeah, absolutely. But this is true across the board. I mean, you know, you become old to your partner. Yeah. Inevitably, we become old to the people that we love. 
And it kind of makes me wonder that after the movie ends, do Johnny, uh, do uh, Ronnie and Loretta even make it? What happens? We never think about what happens after Moonstruck. No. I mean, it's probably not happily ever after. It's just after. <laughs> That's a great question. I, I guess I always assume when a movie ends, you know, it all is as it should be. Like, what the hell could life be like with a guy who's ultimately got these underlying, like, deeply emotionally <laughs> disturbed issues? A Dubani on the rocks. What did he order? He ordered, uh, for the woman, a Dubani on the rocks. And even, I, I, yeah. It's like, I think it's a British drink. And Cher saw this woman in the in the powder room, but she doesn't know that that's his father's Gumara yet. Oh, that's right. Powdering her cleavage, trying to make her cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. You know? I love this choice that they made to wrap the handkerchief around her her head. Like she she looks like a little sweet innocent Nona in this. Yeah. And she's like, you know, there's there's this level of excitement that like, oh my god, like this guy and you know is walking with me this is scandalous. The grandfather with his million dogs. I am lost with the dogs. Yeah, same. I also love the the music that they composed for this. It's like it's Italian mandolin music, but kind of turned up a notch. Yeah. And depending on where they're going with it, they make it somber, they make it happy. There's her father-in-law. Uh-oh. Doesn't even acknowledge her. Which I don't think is any indication of anger or anything. I think it's just like a, a figura thing. But, you know, the, the, the father also knows that his son is, like, not perfect. Yeah, that's true. Not that it has anything to do with the movie, but the stage sets at the Met are so beautiful. Yeah. It's a nice experience, just once the opera starts. (laughs) 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 I can't wait till intermissions. Really? Nicole kills me because she gets so mad. I fall asleep. I fall asleep in the movies a lot, but I fall asleep in the opera a lot. And she can't understand why. I love it. I love the sleep I get in an opera where I'm hearing a little bit of what's going on and I'm kind of up and down. I don't know why it just feels so womb-like. Wait, so is that, maybe that's what's happening to me. Cause I, I can't keep my eyes open. I always just thought it was cause I was bored. Is it something else? Hey, listen, <laughs> now, now that you got the Bambino and you probably lack in sleep, get it. We'll get an opera in. You'll sleep like a baby. You'll feel oh, forget great. Forget it now. <laughs> it is a beautiful experience though. I, I, I do like going. I just, 
one of the show itself. <laughs> I hate admitting that. <laughs> what operas are you guys seeing? I, 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 any opera I see, I fall asleep. I just fall asleep in warm, dark places. Like movies, I could love the movies. Oh my gosh, that is me. That's exactly yeah. what's happening. Yeah. And then the last time we went, God, was it? No, it was the Christmas before the baby. So not this year, last year. And, and like, you know, Drew is, Drew's very creative and has an artistic eye and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm kind of like the artist in the family. Yeah. So, but you'd think that, you know, I would be like so into it and he'd be falling asleep. No, he was like wide awake, loved the opera, loves the opera, like couldn't wait to go back. And I hear I am sleeping, like, can we go? Can we go? I, so I, funny. I, I like falling asleep with loud stuff on too. Oh, here she's met her father now. He totally dismisses her. Wait by the door. Yeah, nobody's flat. Nobody's at all flummoxed by this. I love that there's this exploratory <laughs> exchange and then it's like, all right, I didn't see you. <laughs> Amazing. It does speak. A lot of this, you're right, speaks to the idea of figura. And, and just guilt. Like, you got yeah. something on me, I got something on you, we're going to pretend this didn't happen. I think figura and guilt go hand in hand. That's interesting. And this guy who, like, lives in a, an apartment, a one-bedroom apartment, is like, this is a palace. And yep. to a town people, you're like, well, you know, we don't spend money. And it just goes to show, like, we are not these people anymore. Yeah. That, um, you know, work so hard and don't spend money. Like, don't get our nails done. Don't buy flowers because they'll, they'll end up in the garbage. And this is what you get when you're one of those people yeah, in a corner house in Carroll Gardens. But you don't have any flowers because they're garbage. <laughs> we might become those people again when this is all over. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We'll be better off. <laughs> See what shakes out, Rob. Ah. <laughs> uh. Look at her face. Like she feels so bad. It's no surprise she wins the Oscar for this performance. No, absolutely not. I mean, And you know, amazingly enough, she's only 15 years older than Cher. Yeah. But I think hair and makeup did such a tremendous job on her with the the, the hairstyle and the her yeah. wardrobe was on point in this. Yeah, they really aged her perfectly.
Ro, are they supposed to come from the same neighborhood? Yeah. Yeah. And this is building up to one of the other, you know, most important scenes. There's a big speech in this about how, you know, love isn't perfect and Cheap goods. I've not. I have not heard some like someone <laughs> who has cheap goods in a long time. <laughs> so we got a wolf, a bride, and a lamb. Perfect, isn't it? Playing it safe is the most dangerous thing a woman like you can do. It says a lot, doing the right thing, playing it safe. I think this is actually um, such an important message for for women, for Italian-American women of this era. And I'm going back to the 1987 era. And, you know, I know so many women who got married around this time who are now divorced. And I think they did play it safe. I think a lot of them did. And, you know, it was their, their identity was so wrapped up in doing the right thing, what they felt was the right thing for their family at the time. And how, how, how much that really can influence you. And it almost seems crazy to talk about something like this in 2020. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? You didn't just live for yourself and, you know, marry someone your family just didn't like because you, because that's what you wanted to do, you know? And that's, that's just not how a lot of women from families like this behaved at that time. It just, it wasn't fashionable. Yeah. It, it speaks a lot about where we are in a modern world and that whole concept of figura appropriate, what's right, what, what, you know, what belongs to the family that gets chipped away in the modern world. Yeah. I think our culture is probably uh, in those days, especially a little bit behind the curve of yes. the rest of the country with some of these. Yes. Some of these things, you know, because of, right, because of figura, because of our outlook, our, our, our ethics, our values. Yeah, it'd be an interesting um, experiment to chart divorce rates in the country and in the Italian-American community and see when they start to match. Mm, yeah. So I love when he says this to her. I love you, but not like they told you love is. Yeah. And love is not this like uh, this fairy tale emotion that makes everything nice. It, it's painful, and ah, uh, and we are here to ruin ourselves. Like this is so dramatic. That's so Italian. And die. Yeah, we we, we always got to die. And death, starting in the you know opening scene in the morgue or in the in the the funeral home is a theme recurrent through here. Right? Yes. Yes. When Rose tells Karma, uh, tell, tells Cosmo, you know, no matter what you do, you're going to die like everybody else. Yeah. 
Or when they're taught when they're in the apartment for the first time and he says, You killed me, you know, you 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 ended me. Yeah. And when she says, you know, uh he thinks if he holds on to his money, he'll never die. Yeah. <laughs> We're obsessed with death. We are obsessed with death. Just the scene of her grabbing the wooden hands. And here comes Johnny. Oh boy. <laughs> Back from the not dead mother. Yeah, he's going to explain how she made a miraculous recovery <laughs> after <laughs> revealing that he is to be married. Look at them chalking the luggage. Maronami. What did that even mean? Was that like was that their version it of match co- match your ticket? You had oh. the stubs. <laughs> oh, simpler time. The way they use this music throughout reminds me of Larry David. Yes. <laughs> Who has a tarantella throughout yeah. um herb. And it's interesting because he's going to 19 Cranberry Street. So as we've talked about, this is filmed throughout Carol Gardens, Brooklyn, which is the neighborhood, one of the as Pat always says, one of the oldest Italian neighborhoods in the country. But he's going to the setting in Brooklyn Heights, which is not particularly Italian American actually. Goes right to his fiance. I could see where he he where Danny felt this was a dopey role. Like give the luggage and things. I could see that part. But man, was he brilliant in this? Okay, but like dopey, uh, you know. I don't understand how you can regret taking like a dopey role. You know, you knew you read the role. Yeah. And I think this is where the film starts getting a little bit more comedic. Yes. You know, it's a lot of uh, coming and going and timing and uh, and uh, coincidence. It's the third act, right? Yeah. I love how he tells this story. <laughs> like it's a miracle. <laughs> she began to cook. <laughs> she ate a meal could joke up well. As we all know, your appetite is a direct indicator of your viability and health. That's right. That's the most time point of the whole movie, I think. <laughs> That's the absolute
<laughs> it's so interesting that I never picked up that she asked the same question twice and his version is so uh, from a position of, of sort of more romantic right like the man is searching for the woman because of the rib and then the honest version of it's about ego comes first you know but I love in this moment, he's, he's like worried he offended her because this is still like his future mother-in-law. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And, and... Look, the ever dutiful, polite yep. Johnny Camerari. I, I often feel that this is like the last production of Italian-American theater, that vaudeville theater that was big in the 20s and 30s when we had like our own theater company. Wow. Because like Rose says, you know, Gardenia's a theater actor. It's, it's you know, it has a, a, a theatrical feel to it. But the ending is very much a theatrical ending. I mean, do you agree, Ro? You're the expert in this. I mean, I, 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 I lobby for the fact that this is a play, you know, on film. Especially this act. Yeah. Well, most of it's in the house. Yeah, exactly. Point. Yeah, Pat makes a great point. And, and, you know, a lot of, we don't, we should do a whole episode on the Neapolitan or Italian American theater tradition because there's so much wealth there. But you're absolutely right. This is definitely of that vein in the house. Everybody's comings and goings, confusion, who's there, who's telling what lie, who, you know, that's it's absolutely brilliant. So this is, you know, the afterglow of their of their last hurrah. What they kind of promised each other was going to be their last hurrah. And we're about to see Cher walking by um you know, kind of that famous scene of her. And the opera swells, and here she comes. I love the way that they shot this um, because it's like this this dramatic music over, you know, her walking. But it feels appropriate. It feels like, you know, the music really is there as she's walking through and just basking in this glow, this romantic night. And then she's going to go inside and like reality is going to hit her when, when the door slams. I like the Thunderbird. Yeah. There she goes, and then... (laughs) (laughs) It's like your mother in a house dress. What the hell's the matter with you? (laughs) But I have a hangover. (laughs) 
It was a miracle. <laughs> it ain't modern times in Sicily. Fine <laughs> in Italian American cinema. Is your mother telling you your life is going to remind <laughs> you life is going down the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> Pat, you're so right. This is so a like a uh, traditional Neapolitan domestic comedy right here. Yeah, it gets a little screwbally here. Like you don't know who is who's who and what's going on, yeah. and they. Hickeys. Don't you think that's a theatrical ending of the last scene of everybody comes out on stage? Yeah. Yes, exactly right. And another character joins the, the crew, and then another one, and then another two, and then, you know, before you know it. You know, in, in reading the research for this, uh, I found that Norman Jewison actually was fined by the Directors Guild of America, whatever the... the uh, for not letting them go to lunch, yeah. For not letting them eat lunch because he kept them at this table. He, he got rid of all the rest of the crew, just him and them, and he kept making them do take or practice or rehearsal to get their facial expressions right for every shot, and then he decided where to put the camera. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's why I'm saying, like, this is a director's medium because it's a film. Mm. But I think what makes it Italian is it's everybody at the table at the end. I mean, what put yeah. a more of an Italian closing can you get? It ends in the kitchen. They're eating. And interestingly enough, when we get to the end of it, there seems, if I recall from the last time I saw it, like a resignation. Everybody's okay. Like the family is still there. They're t- together going on together through all of this. Yeah, I mean, everything's okay. But there's still so much that's kind of unresolved. There's quite a bit of work to do you know Cosmo and Rose sort of make up but you know how do you really just make up over oatmeal after you realize your husband's been cheating on you and you got to dump your he still has to dump the gumata Ronnie and uh, Loretta have to get married but look at the energy of all of them at the table like I love the fact that at the table everybody can kind of let it out This is such a big conference. I mean, this is is very theatrical and not realistic. Yeah. This would never happen in real life. It's not. This isn't supposed to be. Like my argument, it's a tableau because it's not. It's a, it's a. It's an opera sacra. It's not supposed. It's supposed to represent. It's a. It's like a morality play of the Middle Ages. Yeah. You know, opera sacra had the lives of the saints and it had morality plays. And what was the point of a morality play to drive home a message? So, you know, people think, all right, medieval people were ignorant because they 
had plays where angels came out of the sky and demons came up out of the ground and all kinds of miraculous things happened. It wasn't that they were stupid. It was that it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a device. It was a parable. This is a parable. It was a device to get a message across. You're absolutely right. And if you look at it like, if you look at this as a parable, it changes the dynamics. Ah. This is beautiful. Like her, her entire facial expression, how things just got very real. Yeah. Moment. You, I, I, and then everybody's eating. <laughs> everybody goes, oh, here comes Johnny. Oh, no, he's, just, he's not Johnny yet, right? They think it's Johnny, but it's the end. I think it's Johnny. We got to add more people to the, uh, to the chorus. But this is what makes it Italian. You have the grandparent, the aunt and uncle. Yep. And the two feuding. I mean, how much more of an Italian scene could you possibly want? Everybody in your business at one time. <laughs> and, and, I've, and I often argued that this movie and Fatso are very Neapolitan because they're funny and they're kind of like lighthearted. The Godfather is extremely heavy. Cecilia. I think Fatso is more of a, a straight up comedy, though. Yeah, but I think it's a ver- there's a very Neapolitan feel to Fatso. I know she had it. That is the best. When everything pans out and, and, and they can confirm it. No, I knew it wasn't anything. Yeah, I came over because I suspected you. <laughs> we never suspected you. Right. I can think of a myriad of conversations like that. Have some coffee. Just have some coffee. When, we, when you don't know what to do, you make coffee. Mm-hmm. He's in his tuxedo shirt. Yeah, they all know something is amiss, but because of Bella Figura, no one's going to address anything. <laughs> <laughs> Which is odd, because now they're all in the privacy of their own home. They're not out on the street. This is usually where Italians open up. I wonder if his being present qualifies them as like not completely in the safe zone, you know? Maybe. Like he, this new character introduced to the table. The grandfather with someone tell a joke. <laughs> They're all waiting for the explosion that they know is coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, this is another classic line. Always dressed. Yeah. Yeah, a three piece suit at like nine AM. <laughs> and we we never know what, what uh what Johnny Camareri does for a living. No, it's a good point. But I think it, it's an important message about like the the uh, lack of formality that we have now in yeah. our world entirely. You know, in the fifties, you went everywhere in a three piece suit.
That's Bella Figura. Yeah. yeah. at its finest i cheated on you and i didn't want to marry you anymore but how how dare you not want to marry me (laughs) you're a son who doesn't love his mother (laughs) i love that line the ultimate insult Like, this whole part is ridiculous. Yeah. It's not meant to be. But you can kind of see it still happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's a parody. Yeah. It wasn't made to, to record facts or to retell a factual story. It's a movie with a message, and the scenes have to be configured to, to deliver the message. That's the parable sense of it. And it's a movie about true love because at the end, you know, at the beginning when she's going to marry uh, Johnny, she asks, she asks her daughter, do you love him? And she goes, no. And he goes, oh, all right, good. Because when you love him, they drive you crazy because they know they can. And at this, at this ending, she asks her daughter, do you love him? She goes, my love him awful. And she's, oh, that's too bad. Because it's teaching you that true love, although it's painful and messy, it is something worth fighting for. I just want to point out now, this is how great our associate producer is. Stephanie had sent me a text as we were recording that there is an Italian answer to the sugar in the champagne. Nice. And uh, they say, it says, it's an old Italian wives tale that the devil never wants to see you happy. And since champagne makes you happy, dropping sugar in, making something sweet, Almost too sweet keeps the devil away. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Way to come through, Steph. How do you have to say about this? In what sense? I mean, you know, there's an answer for every question. I mean, I don't know if that's fact, you know, but I mean, how much did Shanley, I mean, he uses Tiamo. He used his, like, I don't know, like, like the Italian in here is not Brooklyn Italian of the 1980s either. You're right. That's true. So I'll pay so it'll be a Walmo, you know, that's another, but you know, so I think that they had a little, suge- a little creativity. That woman was Italian though, that actress. Sure. But I'm saying it's like, she didn't say, if, you know, she didn't, it wasn't in Sicilian. No. Here, here's one thing I do love as we, we pan out across the family and we close on the ancestors, right? Yeah. They've been the front of the door the whole time. Everybody has something like that in their family. I got a couple of them. I just think it's beautiful. And the, the music swells at that moment. Don't yeah. you know, which is like the, um, the, the uh, Della Reese version of, uh, you know, it's the music from, from Love OM just re- reworked. Well, now that we've seen it in a, in a few words each, how do you feel about it? Uh, Ro? I got to go first. I don't want to go first. Well, you you, you're, you're the biggest champion of the film. Uh, you know, I um, have I seen this film a thousand times. Yes, 
could I see it a million more and it just never gets old and I and I see new things and I find new nuances, if you will? Yes. Um, do I wish I could go back in time and be an extra in this movie? Absolutely. <laughs> it's one of those things. It's um it's a it's a sweet memory for me. I don't know. I love I love this film. Pat, what do you think? I just wanted to hear the horses take. That's the only reason why I'm here today. <laughs> what do, you think? do you like the movie? Yeah, I mean it's 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 a, it's part of the lexicon of our age. Like I feel that that is kind of a um, there's kids now who are in college who were born about the year 2000 who who can't get aspects of that. Yeah. So I think I have memories of those years, and I think that for me it's a lot of nostalgia because it just brings back a lot of. You know, I want to say the old days. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. All right, Dolores. The question is, what do I think? I think I can. What do you think? I can cross this off my list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <We've> been, yeah. <laughs> that's my feeling. Oof. Well, did you have fun doing it? <laughs> you don't. You don't budge. I no, did. I, um... <laughs> no, I mean, it, it was it was great to hear your guys's. Uh, thoughts on what a political the production how much more story. of a politically correct answer can you get i don't know me well that's good for you what was it a colonoscopy yes, you said the- <laughs> did you think i was going to change my mind no not at all but you know what <laughs> I'm, I'm very you proud of us you- Way better than that. I'm just proud that we were able to have a, an educated, intellectual conversation without us just ripping at each other about the movie. So I'm, I'm thrilled by yes, this. Same. I will say, like, I do find endearing the idea of this as a like Neapolitan stage play, and the several times that was mentioned, I thought to myself, I'd probably like it better if I was actually sitting in a theater watching it. Oh wow! Uh, like a, a, you know, as a, as a play, a theater, live theater. It's like a new book of Shinichata. It's like, you know, it's like if Mario Medela came out singing at the end, that would be a real Neapolitan. I was just going to, I was just going to bring him up. Yeah, wow. it's, like, it's like if Mario Medela was yeah. Vincent Garzandi, I started singing, yeah. mia in un Exactly. You know, if he starts singing that, we'd that. be like, aha, yeah. yeah, we know what it is. So. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, I kind of have a soft spot for for that, you know, nostalgic wise. But also, you know, my father, of course, loved those movies. Uh, so, you know, looking at it that way makes the the film a little more endearing. But I, I never thought it was a bad film. You know, yeah, it just didn't do it for you. I, I still maintain my apprehensions and skepticism. Well, I think it'd be great if we got to watch one of those Merrill of films actually on here. I mean, as, as long as we can get copies with subtitles for everybody, that'd be... I would abso- there's nothing that I enjoy more than Mario Merrill films from the 70s. Well, let's work it out. Maybe we could do it. That'd be a fun watch along. I'll probably cry the whole time, but I'll do it. Oh, that'd be, oh, that would be nice. I mean, not, not, not to have you cry, but yeah. It'd <laughs> be nice to share that with everybody. Well, for me, I, I as the moderator, I, I love this movie. It warms my heart. A lot of it is the cadence. A lot of it is the little tiny pieces that are nostalgia for me. And I think it's a great movie on in and of itself. And uh, for my money, as somebody who's usually sensitive to this kind of stuff, I'm shocked and impressed that non-Italians could create this. So I want to thank you guys for doing this with us. I want to thank everybody out there for listening. I hope this has been a great uh, escape 
from uh, what's going on outside everybody's windows right now and a little chance to watch a good movie with friends and take it to another a little bit of a deeper level. So from all of us at the Italian American Podcast, I hope you're all moonstruck and we'll be back with you next week. All right. Good night. Yeah, good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.